Migration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Lorenzo Tavelli, and uh, I have the pleasure to be here today with uh, Dr. Martina Stefanini as a part of the Oral Regeneration Topic Series organized by Osteology Foundation. We all know Dr. Stefanini, which is uh, an amazing researcher at the University of Bologna. She has been uh, lecturing around the world on the topic of uh, uh, soft tissue management, either around teeth uh, and dental implants. Martina, thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much, Lorenzo. I'm really glad to be today with you. And I thank you for your kind introduction. And I thank the Osteology Foundation for this opportunity to discuss with you about uh, a topic that uh, is the topic that link each other because we are both soft tissue lovers. So (laughs) I think that uh, it will be really interesting to discuss about uh, this topic today. Yes, in particular, I have to say that also from a personal point of view, I've uh, enjoyed working uh, with Dr. Stefanini in the last years and uh, with her team. And uh, so in order to uh, enter more into the focus of the uh, topic and discussion today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a key publication in the field of uh, soft tissue management around dental implants. So, Martina, the first question I will have for you is that uh, when someone wants to look in the literature about soft tissue complications, the first thing, for example, I noticed is that uh, this condition has been called with so many different terminologies. So could you please tell us how we should refer when we talk about this terminology? And uh, can you give a clinician some uh, uh, recommendation for uh, defining and uh, characterizing these conditions? Yes, Lorenzo, thank you. This is a key question because uh, in the literature, there is a kind of confusion on the terminology, but especially on the definition on what are the so-called peri-implant buccal uh, soft tissue deficiencies. Because the name recession, I think, is more related to teeth. It's a gingival recession. It's what we call around teeth. While around implants, uh, we prefer to define this condition as a peri-implant soft tissue buccal deficiency. And the definition of this aesthetic condition was quite difficult to define because around teeth, we have our fixed reference point that is defined by the cementonomic junction. Around implants with different kind of implant brands, different kind of prosthetic reconstruction, it's always very difficult to find a stable reference point that can be applied in all clinical condition. So when we start to think about that, we decided that if we thought from a patient point of view, what is really crucial for the patient is to have the length of the implant supported crown that is the same of the homologous natural tooth. So we decided to define the apical shift of the soft tissue margin with respect to the position, to the ideal position of the gingival margin on the adjacent natural element. 
So the homologous natural tooth represent the reference points to define the apical shift of the mucosal margin at the level of the implant supported crown. So this is our, uh, let's say, way to define what a buccal soft tissue uh, deletions around the implant is. Thank you very much for making uh, clear this point, which I believe uh, is uh, absolutely crucial because we should not just distinguish based on the exposure of the metal, but uh, the aesthetics and patient perception, as you said, is uh, our reference. And uh, another question I would have for you uh, before entering in the, uh, in the publication itself is, how often do you see patients refer with this condition? And uh, what are the factors that uh, uh, you think uh, uh, can contribute to have uh, these pre-implants of tissue adhesions? I think that nowadays, with respect to, let's say, five or 10 years ago, uh, we saw and we treat much more uh, soft tissue deletions, not only because the number of implants is tremendously increased and consequently the complications around implant are increased because also perimplantitis is increased incredibly in the last period because the number of implants that we place is increased, but also because we are more aware of this kind of soft tissue anesthetic condition. Because let's say 10 years ago, the problem was also related to bone osteointegration, to bone stability over time. The soft tissue were not taken into consideration because we're not considered so important in the whole uh, implant prosthetic rehabilitation. So nowadays, I think that both professional and patients are more aesthetically oriented and from a professional point of view, we realize that without the right soft tissue management, uh, we cannot reach uh, a final uh, optimal aesthetic outcome. So today I treat much more cases because I uh, I have patients that have can reach my office, my university, sent from some colleague, also from for uh, to treat a small millimeter of buccal soft tissue deletions. Ten years ago, no one scared of that. Today we are more focused on the final uh, aesthetic result of the restorations. Yeah, thank you for bringing again these key points of patient perceptions. And uh, so, do you think uh, um, there are many? There are some factors that are affecting these uh, complications. Some factors. We should be aware when we place implants ourselves. Can we give maybe some uh, recommendation on that, uh, if there are any? Yes. Uh, as I told you, uh, uh, in the last years, we are uh, aware regarding the importance of the soft tissue management during implant placement, especially in the aesthetic area. Uh, we realize that the the main predisposing factors for uh, soft tissue deletion occurrence is related to the obviously to the buccal implant malposition, but also to the lack of soft tissues, because when we place an implant, especially in the aesthetic area, we need not only to create the right uh, bone uh, regeneration. We don't have just to 
uh, evaluate the quantity in height and thickness of the bone, but we have also to evaluate the quantity and the quality of the so-called supracrestal soft tissues, because from the implant head to the mucosal margin at the level of the implant supported restoration is the area that is related to the quantity of the supracrestal soft tissue. So from my point of view, uh, and in my clinical practice, uh, when I place implant, 99%, 100% uh, of the case in the aesthetic area are guided implants in order to avoid any kind of error in implant placement. So careful uh, planification before implant placement and fully guided implant placement. This is the first message that I would like to send, especially to the young clinicians who start with implant placement. Uh, it is not that you are not good enough in placing implant. If you use um, a surgical guide, you are much more precise and reliable and you will avoid a lot of mistakes. And the second aspect is always to evaluate the soft tissue thickness, especially the thickness, because around implant, we need much more thickness with respect to teeth. And so the second uh, advice, let's say, to reduce the risk of gingival of uh, soft tissue uh, deletion, so occurrence is the management of the soft tissue with the adjunctive use of a connective tissue graft during the implant placement. Thank you very much for uh, highlighting these uh, crucial points that uh, I believe they can uh, basically serve as guide uh, when we place uh, our cell dental implants because the, better, the best prevention for these implant complications is placing ideal implants ourselves. Now, focusing on the uh, key publication that uh, we'd like to discuss uh, uh, more in details, um, I have the following question for you. I would like to know when uh, uh, did you have the idea of, uh, uh, together with your team, of using this uh, connected tissue platform uh, technique also around uh, uh, dental implants? And uh, if there are uh, some small details and modification from the original publication that was described for uh, a dentalus reach. Before answering to your question, just come back one second to the previous one because that case uh, of the publication was a typical case in, in which the complication occur mainly because of an implant malposition. Implant malposition in that case uh, measure distal. So the evaluation of the implant position should be performed in a three-dimensional way and the implant position should be guided again, to avoid this kind of uh, implant malposition that can uh, lead not only to a buckle of tissue deletions, but also like in this case, with the problem at the level of the interproximal soft tissue that is much more complicated to solve with respect to the buckle one. So now answering to your question. <laughs> in these cases, we decided to apply the platform technique because the problem was not only on the buccal aspect, so the problem was not related to the buccal uh, soft tissue deletions, but was related to the almost complete lack of the interproximal soft tissue. So if you don't have the interproximal soft tissue, you cannot visipitalize the anatomical papilla, you cannot coronally advance your flap. So the only way to uh, overcome the lack of interproximal tissue 
and increase the height in, in terms of apicocoronal dimension of the interproximal tissue is to, uh, let's say, use the platform technique that was a technique previously applied in the edentulous area for traditional prosthetic restoration to increase the, the volume of the soft tissue. So the technique was applied, let's say, almost in the same way, but obviously it's not uh, an edentulous area because we have an implant in the middle. So we have a smaller, in this case, we have a smaller amount of connective uh, platform on the occlusal side because of the presence of the implant. So we have only the connective measure and distance to the implant head. This was the, let's say, the most important difference uh, uh, with respect to the original technique performed in an edentulous area. Thank you very much for making uh, uh, clear this point and also for going back to exactly de describe uh, the, the etiology that actually caused this because this is something I always try to do either whenever to treat uh, a case either around teeth and dental implants, always try to understand the possible etiology because absolutely yes. very important. This uh, should guide us for uh, our future treatment plan. Yes, um, we always need to understand why mistake happens, even if it's not a mistake uh, performed by, by us, uh, but understand the, the reason uh, of this kind of uh, uh, anesthetic clinical condition, it's, it's always very important. And, and then we learn from mistakes and we try to do better in prevention. Oh, I agree absolutely, <laughs> 100%. And um, I would also ask, I would like to ask you in terms of uh, uh, incision design of this uh, uh, technique, um, do you recommend performing uh, uh, intracircular or a paramarginal incision when uh, you perform uh, uh, the platform technique? And also, if you could, could also explain to us, how do you manage the palatal flap and how, how basically palatal you go with your uh, uh, cut in the occlusal or palatal area? In the occlusal area, to create uh, the, the connective tissue platform, we need to perform two parallel horizontal incisions uh, extended uh, from the, on the palatal side from line angle to line angle of the two uh, neighboring teeth. And on the uh, more or less at the same level on the buccal side uh, in order to delimitate this uh, area by these two parallel horizontal incisions. At the level of the neighboring teeth, uh, the questions to remain, uh, let's say, intracircular, when I, uh, I don't like to perform intracircular incision, if I don't scallop my incision, I use the periosteum elevator inside the buccal sulcus. So I just perform incision, measure and distal with the vertical one that will uh, help a lot in coronally advanced flap. And um, I just... Uh, use my periosteum elevator at the level of the buccal sulcus of the neighboring teeth. Sometimes uh, it, the coronal advancement of the flap, uh, it, it's a lot. Um, we can 
create a paramarginal incision on the adiacent teeth in order not to cover the adiacent teeth too much. But this is possible only if you have enough keratinized tissue uh, at the level of the adiacent teeth. So it's, it's difficult to give you a precise rule on that because it's in relation on the amount of coronal displacement you need and on the amount of keratinized tissue that you have in each case. But this is something that is possible in both ways. And the use of the vertical releasing incision in this kind of flap uh, is something that helps you a lot in the coronary advancement. Because in this case of platform technique, in which what you need to obtain is uh, a true coronal dis displacement, not only on the, of the buccal flap, but at the level of the interproximal soft tissue, because the objective of this clinical uh, surgical procedure was to increase uh, the quantity in apical coronal and buccal lingual dimension of the interproximal tissues. Thank you very much for this uh, amazing explanation. These are very uh, technical details that the more uh, you do this procedure, the more uh, you understand, but these, uh, these details are really, really important and crucial. So thank you for sharing those uh, uh, with us. I also would like to ask you, oh, yeah, please, please go ahead. No, uh, I, I forgot to answer you about the palatal flap. The palatal flap should not be uh, elevated. It's just um, a split thickness incision at the level of the, uh, of the horizontal incision on the palatal side, but you don't have to elevate the palatal flap just to uh, elevate a little bit the flap on the platform to facilitate the disepitalization of the connective tissue platform. That's it. You don't have to open the palatal flap. Okay, perfect. Thank you for specifying <laughs> that. I would like also to know, and sorry if I have uh, so many questions on the techniques, because I, I really believe that this is something that, in my opinion, is a game changer, even if we have to perform some implants of ourselves, and if you want to increase the height, uh, either a second stage or even at implant placement, I believe it's a game changer in so many situations. So I like to be detailed. We're periodontists, so we're details. <laughs> the other question I have related to the technique is um, um, we can see in this publication that uh, the gain, of course, is not just at the level of the implant itself, but uh, uh, you are able to gain interproximal attachment level. So how do you manage when you open your flap, how do you treat uh, uh, the adjacent teeth in order to uh, maximize the chances of uh, uh, gain the papilla that we know is, uh, is a challenge of uh, uh, everyday case scenarios? Yes, in that particular case, at the level of the adjacent lateral uh, incisor, uh, there was a clinical attachment loss, there was a gingival recession of uh, RT3, uh, gingival recession and in that case obviously uh, once the the flap was elevated we performed the root instrumentation with the use of brassic rack and then we apply ADPA gel and amelogenin that from my point of view was crucial uh, to obtain new connective tissue attachment formation on the root on that, that level and uh, the final outcome was the complete coverage of this gingival recession 
with the lack of probing pocket debt. That means that we were able to solve a gingival recession of RT3 Cairo class. Uh, I can speculate that on the route, on that portion of the route, new connective tissue attachment formation was obtained with the adjunctive use of the uh, amelogenin uh, on the route after the, the route planning. So this step, this periodontal uh, step in this uh, kind of surgical procedure was crucial to solve the problem also at the level of the adjacent uh, tooth. Yes. Yeah, and this actually, I would say, is one of the uh, beautiful part uh, and possibilities of uh, this platform technique because it allows you, at the same time, it allows you to solve the recession on the um, adjacent teeth. Like uh, if you had uh, basically a class RT3 or 4, around two adjacent natural teeth, uh, I don't want to say it's absolutely impossible to uh, do papilla augmentation, but we know it's very, very challenging while... With this technique, I believe you can address both uh, at the same time. Yes, exactly. Because with this technique, placing the, the connective tissue graft above uh, the uh, disepitalized portion, occlusal portion of the adjacent um, anatomical papilla, uh, independently from the position of the interproximal bone crest, uh, you can obtain uh, an increase in height of the soft tissue without uh, probing pocket depth, meaning with the new connective tissue attachment formation. Yeah. Um, yes. Obviously, you. this is something that is uh, that has not been, uh, uh, let's say, proven with the randomized controlled clinical trial, and and you probably agree with me that it's very difficult uh, uh, also to think about uh, a protocol design to demonstrate the efficacy of this technique, because I don't know to, with the, which other technique can be done the comparison to demonstrate the efficacy of this surgical procedure. Uh, so it's, uh, it's something that is not evidence-based at the moment, but we have a lot of clinical case that shows the promising result in terms of uh, soft tissue augmentation of the interproximal tissue independently from the position of the interproximal bone crest. Yes, it's true. It's something that is still not uh, um, with the necessary evidence base, but this is actually, when you propose a technique, that is exactly what we should do in the scientific literature. We are seeing how, even though it's a little bit technical demanding, it's not as easy as to treat no. a single tooth with recession, but uh, uh, we are showing that is very, very promising. So this is very important. And I would like also to ask you, can you give us some suggestions and tips when we have to stabilize our uh, graphs, both on the horizontal and the uh, horizontal and occlusal aspect? Uh, I think that the, the easiest way to uh, fix the connective tissue graft uh, is to use the, the platform. Uh, in that particular case, we apply three connective tissue grafts, one deriving from the uh, tuberosity and two deriving from the disepitalization of pre-gingival graft harvested from the palatal side. And I think that the um, we have to use the, the platform 
because it's it's stable and it provides a good anchorage for the graft. So the uh, idea is to, uh, let's say, perform some uh, uh, mattress suture at the level of the platform and obviously the, the buccal uh, connective tissue graft is sutured at the base of the on, on the buccal aspect uh, of the connective tissue platform. Sometimes you can also fix the apical portion of the graft on the buccal side at the periosteum remaining apical, but in the majority of the case, this is not really needed because then when you will coronally advance the flap, you will obtain the, the right stability on the buccal side of the graft. So the uh, idea for the graft fixation is to, uh, to use the, the connective tissue platform area for the graft fixations. Yeah, thank you. These are very good uh, uh, points. Thank you very much. And uh, when we talk about uh, uh, closure of the flap, do you always aim for uh, primary closure or sometimes given the fact that you have adjacent teeth that may block a little bit uh, the advancement, maybe leaving one millimeter, the graft yeah. exposure? What do you think about that? So ideally, I always prefer to close everything by first intention because uh, I'm sure that if everything is completely closed, uh, we'll heal in a more predictable way. But sometimes in this technique, it's not so easy to obtain and you need sometimes to coronally advance too much the flap to shift to coronal the mucogingival line so you can reach a compromise and not to obtain a complete closure of the graft. Because on the other side, you know that the graft will anyway receive the vascular supply from the connective tissue platform underneath. So it's not so mandatory to completely close the flap. Uh, usually, I suggest always to start the flap closure on the peripherical side, mesial and distal in the most apical extension of the vertical releasing incision. But sometimes here, I prefer to start with single interrupted suture at the level of the, the platform, uh, perforating the buccal flap and the, the palatal flap, single interrupted suture to stabilize the closure uh, without tightening tightening completely, then vertical releasing incision, and then improve the as much as possible the uh, closure at the level of the connective tissue platform. This is usually the, uh, let's say, the, the rule for the uh, sequence of uh, suture. Yeah, thank you I for bringing this very important point. In this surgical procedure, Mm, which is a, a difficult surgical procedure. I can I think that in the in the learning curve, uh, the connective tissue platform technique is one of the most difficult. I think that the uh, from a difficult point of view, lower incisor, uh, vertical and coronal advanced flap in the lower incisor and connective tissue platform technique are the two most difficult surgical procedure. And um, the most difficult part uh, is probably the flap closure because uh, you need to have a really uh, passive flap 
uh, you need to obtain really a nice coronal advancement. You don't have to feel any kind of tension in your flap and try to obtain as much as possible a first intention closure. When it is not possible, it's not a, such a big problem because the graft receive the uh, vascular supply from the connective tissue platform. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, um, Martino, for this very comprehensive uh, um, answer. And I completely agree, one hundred percent related to the related to the difficulties <laughs> of uh, this procedure and also the lower anterior, absolutely. Um, but also, when it comes to difficulties, but also how much we can gain, what do you think is the is the limit? Let's say I know it's difficult to give number. But uh, if you see a very big discrepancy, there are some cases in which you think here this technique alone probably cannot uh, cannot be possible. Maybe you suggest uh, when you suggest maybe that some uh, or if you think that some in some instances bone augmentation would be needed prior to this uh, condition, because I assume that maybe you can see patient with a very very deep uh, uh, deficiency not only at the level of the soft tissue, but also at the level of the bone, maybe implant placement that were placed in some uh, young patient that uh, they still uh, were in the, in the phase of growing. Do you think this technique has some limits or can only be applied? Always. No, uh, no. Um, if you need also uh, bone regeneration, uh, let's say the answer is, for example, when we um, extract a tooth uh, for periodontal reason, you know that if we decided to extract a frontal element for periodontal reason, it means that periodontal regeneration was not possible. And if it was not possible, it means that there was no bone <laughs> at all, because otherwise we would like to try periodontal regeneration around natural teeth. So once we have this kind of condition, uh, we always wait after tooth extraction without doing nothing in order to let the uh, post-extractive socket heal. And then usually, since we have both lack of soft and hard tissue, we start increasing the soft tissue. And with this kind of platform technique, in order to increase uh, the apical coronal height of the soft tissue and the buccal uh, lingual volume. And then once we have this good amount of soft tissue, if needed, we perform a bone regeneration and then implant placement. So I think that this uh, technique can be combined with bone regeneration in complex and difficult cases uh, so, you know, I like soft tissue, but sometimes <laughs> when we place implant, we need to do also some bone regeneration. And this technique, usually we perform this technique before, because then when we manage bone regeneration, we have this nice amount of soft tissue that cover and protect the bone regeneration materials and membrane. Oh, thank you very much for... Um really listing uh, like uh, like a decision tree of what we should do, which uh, I believe that will be uh, very crucial, especially for uh, a young clinician in order to 
to know what we should do when uh, uh, when planning for dental implants because I completely agree that at the end for the aesthetic point of view the soft tissue component is probably the most crucial one but when there is the necessity of regenerating bone uh, I completely agree with your uh, uh, recommendation and I would like to ask you as well uh, um, we all know how uh, effective is the uh, prosthetic surgical approach that uh, uh, you published with the group of professors of Kelly in 2013 and also with uh, a longer follow-up in 2018. Um, would this technique work in this case that, or in the case of the publication? In a way, probably the papilla issue will not have been addressed, but uh, do you think that for maybe a clinician with uh, uh, less expertise? Uh, do you think uh, this prosthetic surgical approach, which I believe is extremely effective and a little bit less, let's say, complex and complicated to do than the platform, do you think that would have been a possibility? No. Personally, I don't think because in this particular case, the distal papilla was completely lacking. The tip of the distal papilla was more... Uh, apical uh, with respect to the ideal position of the mucosal margin. So there was no possibility to position the surgical papilla of the coronary advanced flap. So in this particular case, the, the lack of the distal papilla uh, was really a contraindication from my point of view for the combined surgical and prosthetic approach, which as you said, is really effective. And sometimes we realize that the regrowth of the interproximal tissues during the pre-surgical prosthetic phase uh, is uh, more than when we, what we expected. But in this case, since we have also the uh, clinical attachment loss on the adjacent uh, tooth, I don't think that the regrowth of the soft tissue would be enough to obtain the right coronary advancement of the flap uh, to cover only the buccal uh, soft tissue deletions. Uh, so I don't think that this approach would be a possible, uh, let's say, um, option to solve this case, especially because the patient that arrive with this kind of uh, um, anesthetic conditions hey, really wants to obtain a good result because they uh, had the first implant, the, this bad final result. So they really want to obtain a good final aesthetic result. So you have to, to try to obtain... Uh, uh, the maximum possible aesthetic result, because otherwise the other option is to extract the implant and start again with a new correct uh, implant placement. So when you decide not to remove the implant, uh, but to solve with a mucogingival condition, you need really to be sure that the result will be an uh, optimal result from an aesthetic point of view. Thank you very much. And this brings uh, to one of the uh, last questions I would like to ask you is, uh, when do you think that we should consider implant removal instead? Uh, can you give us some uh, uh, indication? I know we probably don't have enough evidence to say exactly in this condition, but uh, since you are, you are one of the most experts in the field, uh, we would like to hear from you and your uh, recommendation. 
I think that nowadays uh, the main indication for uh, implant removal is when you have an, an error in, in angulation, when the implant is positioned with an uh, error in angulation that is greater than 40 degrees, because the problem is that uh, prosthetically you cannot rehabilitate the case uh, when you because you can always in some way coronal advance your flap and you can always in some way uh, improve the quality of the soft tissue. But the problem is from a prosthetic point of view because if the implant is very, very badly angulated with the abutment uh, uh, that we have that can correct the, the implant in angulation, now we uh, can solve uh, up to 40 degrees uh, malangulation. More than 40 degrees, it's impossible. So I think that the, the, the worst mistake is uh, error mistake more than 40 degrees. Or when the implant malposition is uh, in measured distal dimension, and if you have the implant, which is really, really close to the adjacent natural tooth, without even one millimeter of soft tissues in between. This is another very difficult condition to solve with a mucogingival procedure. But these yeah, are really extremely conditioned and extremely rare case, luckily. <laughs> yeah. And this brings us back to the initial point that uh, in order to hopefully solve better this complication, we have to be the first one to be sure that when we place dental implants, we place in the ideal way. So these uh, were part of your recommendation for clinicians to, to go with guided, to plan, plan the case. Because we know that nowadays with this technique uh, or the platform that we described today, we have the weapons to treat implant aesthetic complications, but there are no doubts that uh, we don't want to have to do that in our own cases. So do you have any exactly. final, final remark, uh, Martina, for this, uh, for this key publication, uh, something that maybe I, was, uh, I, I didn't ask you? Uh, no, I think that your question were uh, really complete. And I think that we, uh, we were able to highlight the most important aspect on this procedure. The only thing is that obviously also with this platform technique, the prosthetical side is very important because before the surgical procedure, we have to place a Maryland bridge restoration and let uh, sometimes for the interproximal tissue to, uh, to increase, to improve, to heal, because sometimes there are some kind of inflammation for the previous uh, restoration. And after the platform technique, we need with our punch uh, technique, reach the implant head and start with a long conditioning phase because at the end of the healing of this uh, surgical procedure, we have a, a, a flat um, condition of the soft tissue that should be through uh, a conditioning phase with the new provisional restoration should be scalloped in order to recreate the say, scalloping of the adjacent teeth. So the prosthetic phase uh, around the implant, uh, it's uh, really a crucial phase. And I 
I really have the, the opportunity to work with a uh, very, very good uh, colleague on that. In this particular case, Professor Carlo Monaco uh, was uh, really good in recreating the right scalloping of the buckles of tissue margin and obtaining the squeezing of the interproximal tissue that uh, completely feel the embrasure of the final restoration. So it's uh, also this technique, uh, when we speak about implant, we are always speaking about combined surgical and prosthetic technique. Yeah, thank you very much for this uh, final remark that uh, once again highlight the importance of planification of the case and uh, multidisciplinary management because there are several professionals involved. And, uh, yes. With this, and uh, this Martina... is, you know, this, sorry, I, if I interrupt no. you, but this uh, is something that's really important because I, I work in a team at the university and I think that uh, to obtain good results at both clinical and research level, uh, work team, it's, uh, it's a key. And, uh, and I take the opportunity to, to thanks all my colleagues uh, that uh, helps me in providing these good cases. And also uh, the colleagues with who I had the chance and the opportunity to work from a research point of view, like you, Lorenzo. <laughs> uh, as you know, it's absolutely my pleasure and honor working with you and your team. Like uh, it was a really pleasure interviewing today. And uh, I believe uh, you have done uh, an amazing job in explaining this key publication. I would like also to thank uh, um, Osteology Foundation for uh, choosing these, uh, I would say, very uh, interesting and uh, popular topic. And I would like to thank all of you for uh, watching. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Oral Regeneration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation.